Welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast, fitness for real people, with your host, Gabrielle Mazar. Gabrielle Mazar. On today's episode, Gabrielle interviews Dr. Rita Louise, author of The Dysfunctional Dance Between the Empath and the Narcissist. Surviving childhood trauma and a string of dysfunctional relationships led her to look inward and address the connection between our traumas and how to heal to create healthy relationships. And now here's your host, personal trainer and stretch therapist, Gabrielle Mazar. Gabrielle Mazar. Welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People. I'm your host, Gabby Mazar, and on today's episode, I have Dr. Rita Louise, the author of The Dysfunctional Dance of the Empath and the Narcissist. Welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to spending some time with you and your listeners. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for joining us and being a guest on the show. Uh, you are a naturopathic physician and the founder of the Institute of Applied Energetics. I'll have you explain a little bit about that, um, but you train students uh, about intuition, uh, medical intuition, and intuitive counseling, as well as energy medicine. Let's talk a little bit about that and what that is. Okay. So, um, I mean, medical intuition is the ability to uh, access information about the physical body on intuitive levels. So if you have a pain in your side or you have congestion, you know, medical intuitive, it's kind of like being a CAT scan, you know, where you can kind of like take x-rays, that doesn't fit, but, you know, of the body and give people insight. You know, and I'm a medical intuitive and it really works hand in hand with being a naturopath because a naturopath is someone who works with people using herbs, supplements, any non-allopathic modality. You know, it might be the recommendation might be, you know, lose some weight, go soak in the tub, you know, because they're non-invasive modalities for wellness. And so, you know, working as a medical intuitive you know, I see stuff that's going on. And so then I'm able to kind of put my doctor brain on and make recommendations as to what they can do to find wellness, um, you know, up to and including um, this is really bad. You need to go to the doctor um, now. Right. Yeah, I think uh, we think about a naturopath as only treating things naturally, but you do also treat things uh, with medicines as well, with, you know, Western medicine as well. Um, but when we treat things, a lot of times other Western doctors treat things uh, as not the patient. So you're looking at the patient as a whole, what the patient is telling you. My side hurts. I've been having migraines. I don't feel good. I don't feel normal. And not necessarily looking at just, you know, my pee is really dark or whatever it is, or I you know, have an earache. There's more to it than just one specific symptom of what is wrong with the person, right? Correct. You know, and I'll use your example about headaches. You know, somebody can get headaches because their body is very toxic, you know, and their liver is very toxic and that's just creating the headaches. Or it could be that they have a lot of mus muscular tension in the neck and in the spine, or they might have you know, a back issue going on, um, or they can have a constriction in the blood vessels going into the brain, which often is tied to the muscular constriction, mm -hmm. but not all the time. And so, you know, a regular medical doctor would be like, oh, well, you have a migraine, so here's this medication, right. you know, but as a medical intuitive, I can look at these different systems and go, 
okay, so this is what I'm seeing. It's like, yeah, you have some toxicity going on, but that's not like the major issue. What I'm seeing for you is that you have, you know, constriction in your blood vessels. You know, so the way that I'm going to address it is, you know, making recommendations, um, you know, like uh, go to cola or something like that, that's going to open up the blood vessels going into the brain, you know, and then maybe make some suggestions that they clean up their diet and, you know, maybe do a little liver cleansing to kind of get rid of that residual that's just there all the time. Right. Because you're looking at their habits as well. You're looking at what people are doing on a daily basis. What are you eating? What do you do for work? What are you doing every day that's causing maybe tension in the neck or tension in the back or tension in the hips or, or what are you eating that might be causing migraines? You know, there's plenty of triggers, stress, certain foods, obviously wine or alcohol, you know, definitely. And and not just necessarily migraines, but, you know, since we're talking about migraines specifically, Mm -hmm. you know, those are things that cause certain things to happen. So Definitely. Uh, there is an intuitive aspect to that. So you train other doctors to learn to use their intuitive. So not other doctors. So I'm a PhD. I'm not a medical doctor. Um, and so, um, so I train other people to do this work. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so, um, you know, and so the training is about learning to tap into your intuition, which is the biggest part of it, mm-hmm. and then giving them some information about how to work with people on a holistic basis, you know, whether it's diet, exercise, nutrition, herb supplements, you know, and that's just one aspect of it. But the mm-hmm. biggest piece is be, them being able to look at a person's body and, you know, understand the anatomy and physiology and then make recommend, you know, and then understand what's going on, you know, whether it's a physical issue, whether it's an emotional issue, whether it's a spiritual issue, um, and give people that kind of insight back so that they can make changes and restore their health. So speaking of emotional issues, you wrote this book, The Dysfunctional Dance of the Empath and the Narcissist, and we'll get into that. But um, I want to talk a little bit about your specific situation about surviving childhood trauma. Um, you had childhood trauma that obviously I'm sure led into later in life as it always does. Can you talk a little bit about your story and how it led to, um, creating this book and why you want to create healthy relationships and help people to create healthy relationships in their life? Sure. So, I mean, I was very aware of my early childhood trauma, you know what I mean? It's just there, you know, sitting on the back shelf, right? um, and then a few years ago, I was ending yet another very toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and it's interesting because as intuitive as I am, I, I have like no guide R, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, if they're bad, they find me. <laughs> and it was interesting because this gentleman reminded me of, an, of one of my husbands. And, and so I was kind of thinking about, wow, this just really is kind of this pattern And then, you know, coincidentally, synchronistically, my ex-husband's wife reached out to me about her relationship with him. And and that just really like set everything in motion. And I started like backtracking all of my earlier relationships, friendships, you know, everything. And I just saw this pattern. 
that was the same pattern that I experienced as a child Mm -hmm. and started digging and digging and digging and digging. Um, You know, and I'm very open to receiving uh, inspiration um, and following through on, you know, inspiration from my higher self, God, whatever words you want to put there. Mm -hmm. And the guidance was, but you need to write a book. And I was like, Okay, so this is book number six. So I, you know, I didn't have a big fear about writing the book, um, but I had just released like five months before another book that I was just getting ready to like really ramp through on the marketing when all this transpired. Um, but it was it was more important, you know. And so when I talk about it, it sounds like this book is biographical, and the first chapter is biographical because I really felt like I needed to share my story as part of, you know, that this isn't a clinical, even though it kind of is clinical, um, assessment, but it really makes you have to look at yourself. So one of the things that, you know, if you're being really honest with yourself, you know, if you keep finding yourself getting into pat into relationships that end up being toxic, you know, and you keep finding the narcissist, you know, and that rotten apple at the bottom of the bucket, you know, you can sit there and blame them and say, okay, they're a bad person, they're a bad person, they're a bad person and run away. But then at some point in time, you have to stop and say, okay, what did I bring to this relationship? You know, or what didn't I bring to this relationship that allowed me to be here and stay and get involved? And so this book really takes you through understanding your own history, because I think anyone who has this pattern in their lives, you know, the pattern was set early in their lives and, you know, kind of owning your story. You know, this was my story. You know, I experienced abuse, whether it was physical or verbal or sexual or whatever that was. And, and so you can kind of get a mental idea of, okay, but this is how I'm acting, you know, and then it really talks about narcissists you know, and their habits and their patterns. And then the dynamic that happens, thus the dysfunctional dance, Uh because individuals who are narcissistic are very self-centered. They're very me, 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 and me. And people who, you know, and I I use empaths um, and I can come back and and revisit that point a second, Um, but they tend to be more people pleasers. You know, and they tend to be much more sensitive to the environment. And if you're upset, I can feel you're upset. And if you came from a place of trauma, now it's my job to make you not be upset so that my world can be better. Right. You know, and so it just creates this dynamic between the individuals that is dysfunctional, you know, and... You know, until you address it, until you address your own wounding, um, you can't step out of the pattern. You can pray about it, but you can't step out of it. Yeah. And it becomes a cycle that you just repeat over and over, like you said, from one relationship to the next to the next, because you're you're continuing this pattern of of your of the empath of people pleasing, of continuing to try and uh, 
allow this behavior because it keeps you safe or what you think is safe, even though it's not safe, right? So the tendency of the empath, um, they have specific um, traits. There's What are the mm-hmm. traits of the empath that you kind of go over in your book and the traits of the narcissist and why is there this specific dance? Okay. You know, so empaths, okay, so I'm going to talk in a generic sense. Empaths are just very sensitive to the energy around them. They are often likened to being psychic sponges. Um, And so they feel other people's feelings. They feel their pain, you know, whether it is in an an intimate relationship, a friendship, um, you know, people that, so if there's someone listening that's an empath, you know, they'll, they'll understand this because they've had this happen, you know? So they're like, oh, I'm in a good mood. And now I went to work and I go into the, my office or whatever. And the next thing I know, I just really am not feeling good. Like I'm feeling kind of upset, but nothing really happened. And it's because the person at the desk next to you, or there's something going on at the company that's upsetting, but it's it, it disrupting your inner world because you picked it up and didn't really recognize that you picked it up. Now, I I joke around that people that are pretty hardcore empaths, you know, cannot navigate Walmart. Right. You you could go with your list and you could go with every intention of getting everything on your list. And then you walk out with half the list or you get everything on the list, but you have so much anxiety that you just can't get out of there fast enough. And I don't know what it is about Walmart. You know, I can, I can go to a lot of places, but Walmart, just anxiety sitting. Yeah. But I, I want to kind of back the conversation up just a teeny bit. And so not every empath gets into this dance. You know, not every sensitive person gets into this dance. Mm-hmm. It is the unhealed empath that gets into this dance. And I'll, I'll explain. Um, when I was writing this book, I belong to a bunch of Facebook groups. And so I did a couple of surveys in groups of with people that self-identify as being empaths mm-hmm. and wanted to know how many people had experienced early childhood trauma in the group. Mm-hmm. Over 85%. I believe that. I you know, absolutely and, believe that. And when I kind of like I was a little bit surprised. I figured, you know, maybe 50%. Yeah, I I don't know. I just threw it out there to see what would come back. And I was, and I got a lot of responses, a lot of responses. And, um, but when I kind of meditated on that and, and sat back, it's like, if you grow up in a dysfunctional household, okay, so like alcoholism was not in my family, but I think people will get it easier. You know, so dad's an alcoholic. And you're home and you're playing with your Barbies and, you know, la, la, la. And then you hear the door open and now your tentacles are out and your radar is on and you're feeling into the energy of your mom and your dad to know if it's safe. Right. Can I keep playing with my dolls or do I need to go hide under the bed? And that is the perfect training for anyone to have any kind of intuitive empathic abilities is that ability to feel, sense, and detect energy around them. 
It's interesting that you bring up that story because I just had a conversation the other day um, about a dad who used to ruin all Christmases because they would wake up in the morning and the dad would start drinking and he would have a beer and then he would have another and another and the child, who's now an adult, would just remember this. Every Christmas was ruined because... By the time they opened all their presents, he would be just completely drunk. And then mom and dad would get into a fight. He would storm out. They might not see him for a few days. And it was like you were just walking on eggshells. And it's that it's that anxiety of waking up Christmas morning when Christmas morning should be happy for kids. And, you know, here this woman, her entire childhood until she was an adult had terrible memories of Christmas. So of course, as an adult wanted to create Christmas as best she could for her children. But, you know, it's just that, that, that memory of, of the father drinking of that trauma of how that went down and transpired every Christmas. And it, it may not, it, it happened more often than that, but that's the memory that stuck in her mind the most was because it happened every single year and it was the same thing. And whether or not it was that he did that in order to be able to go on a bender and to be able to drink and just be gone and disappear or whatever the reasoning was, it's just that she just remembers that and it sticks with her and and it's, it's such a sad, sad thing. And you're right. It is that dance of her as a child having to walk on eggshells, having to tiptoe around, having to don't, don't upset him. Don't, you know, don't give him any reason to be mad. And it didn't matter what it was. It still happened every single year. Well, and you end up developing behaviors. Right. That make it so that you're able to cope with that situation. And it's like, okay, don't say anything to dad. But now the reality is, is that you're being told, don't speak, don't react, don't have emotions, don't be upset, you know? And when you're so young, you know, because by the time we're like 12 or 13, it's like that programming is pretty stuck. So if you're really young when that happens, it's like, that is normal. You know, it's right. normal. It's like, you you know, he's upset, you know, just back off. And know? with children, the, the thing is, is when you're that young, you're compre- you don't have comprehension. So a child, what they believe is that it, it's their fault, that they mm-hmm. are doing something wrong when it's not their fault, but but it might be their belief because they don't understand. They don't understand that, you know, dad's drunk and, and causing this or whatever they're doing it has nothing to do with them. But that's, that's their understanding because it's very cut and dry. There's no, there's no comprehension of why these things are happening. It just is or it isn't in someone that small. And you're right. It then becomes norm when it shouldn't be. So that's, it's, it's moving forward in life and getting to adulthood and then how you deal with that trauma 
because it's now norm and bring it into relationships and into life, how do you change those habits and deal with that trauma and create those healthy relationships to move forward? Well, and I think the biggest part is having the awareness, you know, that, so I'm just trying to think of an example, you know, but that child, that that child, it's like, you know, her reaction might be, well, I'll just go in my room and be very quiet, Yeah. you know, to that situation. So then something else stressful happens as an adult, you know, that might have to do with alcohol or not. And her knee jerk way of coping with it is I'm going to go into the bedroom. I need to find a quiet space. I need to do this and just be quiet, you know, and that might be a good coping strategy sometimes, but not if you are with someone as an adult who has a drinking issue. And instead of confronting them or leaving, you know, your method of dealing with it is I'm just going to go in my bedroom and and hide. So, you know, he's sober again, Um, you know, and those are the patterns. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'll share a story. So I don't even know when this happened because this has been my life experience, you know, and I was verbally shut down. I mean, not that you could tell now. Um, And I was really super shy. And it would be very challenging for me to talk to somebody that I didn't know and have any kind of a meaningful conversation at all, because I was too afraid. I mean, I was just plain too afraid. Um, Again, don't, you know, I have no, this is what happened. You know, this is just how I was. But I came to realize that there was this huge fear there about having something come out of my mouth, unless it was someone, I was with someone that I I knew for a while, you know, a a friend that I had been around for a while and I could feel comfortable and relaxed. And so I saw that pattern and I decided I don't want to do this anymore, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just made that decision. And, you know, this sounds so lame, but it's true. And so my very first goal was to, I used to walk to work. I worked like a half half a mile, not even a half a mile from this little job I had. So my goal was to walk into the 7-Eleven and say good morning to the guy behind the counter before he said good morning to me. I mean, does that sound lame? You know, like that, how could that be really even hard? And I would stop. I mean, it took me a couple of weeks, but I did it every day. I would stop outside the store and just kind of like breathe and try to center myself and, and then go in and do it, you know, and like try not to have a panic attack while all this is happening. And that began this change. I mean, I can't even imagine sitting here on air talking with you or speaking at a conference or doing any of the things that I do. I mean, when I tell people, I used to be like, God forsakenly shy, they kind of laugh at me and look at me weird, but it really is a true story. And so when you look at those patterns, it's, there's usually a fear there. There's usually something there mm-hmm. that keeps you from not doing it, you know, because sure. that's the knee jerk reaction. You know, and sometimes it can be kind of white knuckle, 
when you sit there and say, you know, I'm I'm going to say something or I'm going to do something. Um, And so, you know, I would love to say it's easy, but it's not. But you can't create a new pattern. You can't create a new habit. You can't create new neural pathways unless you do it, unless you try it, you know, creating boundaries. I mean, people that are people pleasers or codependents or unhealed empaths usually have like zero boundaries, Um, you know, and being able to say no. Yeah. Or say literally, literally just going to say that saying no. Or or saying, (laughs) but this is what I want, you know, and putting yourself forward. Yes. Can be, I've had a few white knuckle moments doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, that goes for, that goes for anything when it comes to mental health, when it comes to physical health, when it comes to anything about that, it's, it's you changing those neural pathways, you're changing habits, you're changing things that you've done forever and ever and ever. And it takes time and it takes effort. And I think that's one thing we don't, we're afraid of. It's the fear of change that makes it very, very difficult too, because it's like it just walking in when you've never done that before, walking into a store and saying hello first is not easy because mm-hmm. it's not normal to you. It's not something that you would do. It's, it's a change and it's scary. So, I, I mean, I don't think it's weird at all. I think it's, it's something difficult for a lot of people to do, especially people that haven't done it their whole lives and have, you know, their normal patterns and that's breaking their normal pattern, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and it's also a practice, you know, and so you can do it and it, you know, you may or may not be successful. Yeah. Um, you know, you can ask for your needs to be met and the person you ask may or may not uh, do that. Um, you know, but then that gives you a whole other option of like, well, do I really want to do this because I'm asking to meet my needs and now you're not. Right. Um, but you, but you did it, you know, you stepped up to the plate and did it. And so even if the result wasn't what you had hoped for, you still need to pat yourself on the back for doing it. Yeah. Right. So your book, uh, although a little bit autobiographical, tell me a little bit more about it. There's only one chapter that's autobiographical. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about it, kind of what it goes over and um, how it can help people. Sure. So it's kind of broken up into three parts, you know, and the very first part is really doing a deep dive into your own history. You know, is there a history of abuse? Uh, If, you know, because dysfunctional families have patterns themselves, you know, like what was your role in the family? You know, were you the golden child? Were you the scapegoat? Were you, you know, the martyr, you know, and identifying your role, looking at your parents, you know, what was going on with them that was causing them to be a certain way? You know, was there a drug or alcohol issue? You know, like my mom was extremely authoritarian in her, you know, it was my way or the highway. And you really didn't want to end up on the highway. Mm -hmm. That was just not a good place. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and so really looking at and going, this is where I came from, because usually that's 
where the pattern, you know, that's where the patterns were formed. And so understanding how you got there mm-hmm. in the first place, I think is, you know, really important. Um, people that have read the book, um, I've heard reports um, that it does make them cry because it really is a pretty deep probe into it. Um, you know, and once you kind of go through that, it really starts talking about uh, defining what an empath is, what a narcissist is. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I found very amusing in writing it is that narcissists, they have a, a, the chapter is called the life cycle, life cycle of the narcissist because they have a very specific pattern that they follow. And the part that I found the most fascinating was that there were even words to describe the things that they do. I mean, I'm doing my research and I'm reading this thing about cognitive dissonance and I'm like, <laughs> hey, that's so-and-so. And I'm like, and there's a word. Um, you know, and they're just very predictable, you know? And so by understanding their pattern, you can take that step back if you enter into a new relationship to look at, are they displaying this pattern? Right. You know, and be more proactive in your choosing. Yeah, that's very true. And that is all very, very true. It is, it is a definite pattern and you can definitely see it if you are looking or, or understand uh, if you've ever been in a relationship with a narcissist or know a narcissist, you can certainly spot those things very quickly. <laughs> um, I just got a yet another relationship with a guy who I thought would be very safe and it did not turn out that way. And it turned mm-hmm. out that it was very covert, mm-hmm. very covert or kind of like, get you to agree but now as time moves on all I'm doing is agreeing with you and I'm getting nothing back Mm. it's like hmm so are you a narcissist or are you just like really self-centered don't know (laughs) you know (laughs) could be could be I mean, relationships are hard, but relationships but are hard. Recognizing, recognizing those things in yourself and recognizing things in others can help you to, you know, definitely mm-hmm. move forward and, and understand you always want to do some self-healing, um, and, and self-reflection is really important. Uh, it's important for physical health from, for mental health as well. So uh, and the you're... final part of the book really does go into self-healing, you know, because it's like, okay, you're in this relationship, this is their pattern, you know, and, and then now the thrill is gone, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it goes into, you know, if you're in a relationship with them, you know, how to put together an exit strategy, because sometimes you need to, sometimes, you know, you're in an abusive situation and you yeah. need to safely exit. situation yeah and it's Um, a lot more common than you think it is like you said 85 percent of people have been through childhood trauma imagine the amount of people that have carried that into their adult Mm -hmm. lives as well you know it's it's it is very common it's not Mm -hmm. you know an uncommon thing that people deal with everybody's (laughs) everybody's got something and like i've said a hundred times on my podcast i say it over and over again i think everybody 
everybody should seek help at some point seek therapy or a psychiatrist or at some point a counselor a therapist at some point because we all have things that we're dealing with not and not one person in this world gets out of here unscathed not one mm-hmm. <laughs> you know there's we've all been through a bad relationship we've all been through a bad breakup we've all had you know bad jobs or been through hard times it's not not one person has not dealt with some sort of situation in their lives and it, it just is and having someone to talk to that is an unbiased person is such a huge help it is not um not a bad thing it shouldn't be looked at in a bad way ever because we all need it. Everybody needs it. Everybody needs help, mm-hmm. you know? So. You know, and if someone has experienced, you know, early childhood trauma, I'm going to say it that way, you know, or they feel like they've experienced a lot of trauma, you know, there are therapists that specialize in working with people oh, definitely. to address trauma versus, you know, I got fired from my job. Yeah. You know, I'm having problems with my wife, you know, because it really requires a, a certain shift in, um, you know, how they interact with you. And there are some therapies that tend to be more effective in dealing with PTSD, CPTSD, yeah. chronic post-traumatic stress disorder. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, for sure. So for your uh, website is soulhealer.com. You can get your book and your website. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Or Amazon.com, anywhere books yeah. are sold. Yeah. Perfect. So uh, it is called The Dysfunctional Dance of the Empath and the Narcissist. So if you are interested in learning more about that, you can find uh, find it on Amazon or find it on um, Dr. Rita Louise's website, soulhealer.com. Uh, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with today that you feel like they should know? I think um, what I'd like to share is that if there's anyone who really has been, you know, repeating that toxic relationship cycle or has experienced, you know, deep trauma in their lives and they're feeling hopeless, you know, especially with the whole COVID thing going on, it's like people, you know, it just has been exemplifying those feelings, you know, that there is hope that they can find happiness, that they can work to experience inner peace, you know, and get out of that loop and that cycle of trauma and have the life they've hoped for. Definitely. I think we're all, we're all there. We're all burnt out. (laughs) Yeah. We're all all ready to be happy again. Right. Yes, ma'am. For sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Check out the book, The Dysfunctional Dance of the Empath and the Narcissist. If you have childhood trauma or have this cycle of uh, bad relationships and need to learn more, check it out. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show. And can I add, you know, I do work with people that have experienced trauma. So if they were interested in talking to me or setting up some sessions, they can do that on my website as well. And there's information about the services I offer there. Of course. Absolutely. And I'll have, um, I'll have your website and all that information in the show notes as well. So you can find it there for sure. Perfect. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening and we will see you all next week. Thank you so much for listening to the fit minute podcast. 
fitness for real people with your host, Gabrielle Mazar. If you would like more information on today's episode, you can find it in the show notes and on Gabrielle's website at www.destinationfitcations.com. Visit to keep an eye out for upcoming fitcations. Be sure to share the show, give this podcast a review and subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Join us next week to hear more stories from people just like you. This has been the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People with Gabrielle Mazar.